Well, if you'll open your Bibles and go to Matthew chapter 6, many of you have asked, and uh, so I'll give a quick report, and we'll probably do a, a more full report uh, uh, soon. Uh, Pastor Wally, Pastor Alfonso, and I uh, got back from Guatemala. I got home around 8.30 last night and had a wonderful week um, in Guatemala, leading a pastor's conference there. Uh, such a joy uh, to, to observe as these two godly men, who are a treasure to this church, um, ministered to uh, uh, pastors and families there. Uh, such a privilege to be able to teach uh, pastors and their families. And so we, we led a pastor's conference there. Uh, Pastor Alfonso and I uh, did the bulk of the teaching in the pastoral conference. And Wally preached in the evening, did a phenomenal job. And the theme of the conference really was on spiritual life. And so I had the opportunity to teach on relationships, and the rest of my sessions were given to teaching on prayer. Alfonso taught things that I, I really don't know what he was saying because my Spanish is terrible, um, but taught on spiritual life and taught on leadership. And so such a, a blessing. There were 43 pastors, church leaders um, in the room that were able to take part in that. And I want, I want you to hear this from me. They were able to take part in that and to be encouraged and strengthened in their ministries. And they minister in villages and towns that most of us in this room will never have the opportunity to go to. But they were able to be there and to, and to be ministered to because of your generosity. And so I, I, every time... Um, I am privileged to be able to get outside the country and to be somewhere with a ministry, a missionary partner um, in the field somewhere. I am reminded of the value of the local church. The local church is God's plan A for taking the gospel to the nations. And so I just want to say on behalf of Wally and Alfonso and myself, thank you for sending us, first of all. Thank you for supporting work there in Guatemala. More to come on that. It was, a, it was really an encouraging week for us. The Sermon on the Mount is one continuous message. As we've talked about over the last several weeks, I think we're on like week 14. Um, and when I started uh, uh, sort of diagramming this out of how we would preach through. My intent was to get through the Sermon on the Mount in about eight weeks. Um, we're not done yet, and we're on like week 14. Every week I think, well, I'm going to combine you know, some stuff together, and we're going to do more of an overview. But when I get into it during the week, I said, no, no, this is too important. We just got to continue to drill down. With that said, we are doing a chunk of Scripture this morning because there's an interesting theme that develops in chapter 6, 1 through 8 it's, it's hard for us when we read the Bible and study the Bible in, in, in breaking it down into parts, which I do in my alone time with the Lord as well. But it's sometimes difficult for us to remember this is one, this is one message. This is one sermon that Jesus gave. I mean, it's taking us months to unpack one sermon that the greatest preacher who's ever lived gave. And we could go months and months and months and years and years and years and never exhaust the riches of what Jesus is teaching here in the Sermon on the Mount. But he teaches us about life in the kingdom. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount takes us on a progression or a journey that teaches different aspects of 
kingdom life, of what it looks like for citizens in the kingdom of God to live both in the kingdom and to interact with the world that we're called to live in. Verse 1. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, Sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. I want us to notice that there are three different sections that are very similar and teach similar points. And oftentimes, like I said, we break these up into different sections. But today, we're going to look at verses 1 through 18 um, in a whole, continuously, uh, to understand the main point that Jesus is teaching to his followers here in the first half of Matthew chapter 6. But notice one thing here first. Jesus says that when you give to the needy, no question about whether or not we will give to those who are in need. Kingdom citizens think about others. Kingdom citizens are generous with what the Lord has given them. So let's look at the second section. <clears throat> Excuse me, verse 5. And when you pray, notice that word when again. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Remember that this is a sermon teaching us about life in the kingdom. Jesus says, when you pray... Jesus makes the, the assumption that if you are a disciple, if you're a follower of Jesus, you will do what? Pray. This is not a, you guys should pray. The disciples didn't even come to Jesus and ask the question, Jesus, should we pray? No. They came to Jesus and they said, Lord, teach us to pray because they knew, they assumed, if you're in relationship with God, you will want your life to be defined by conversation and communion with your heavenly Father. Why? Because you love him. And if you love him, you'll want to be with him. Kingdom citizens crave, we crave communion with God. So let's look at the third section. <clears throat> Verse 16, and when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Again, Jesus uses that important word, when. When you fast, fasting 
is a normal part of the Christian's life. And somewhere along the way, and I don't know exactly when this was, some of you are church historians or have been teaching longer than I have, uh, may be able to share this with us or with me. Somewhere along the way, we didn't teach on fasting enough. We, we, didn't, we didn't practice this enough. Fasting became, somewhere along the way, something that seemed almost mystical, something that was for a, a higher class of a believer, which there is no such thing as a higher class of believer. But somewhere along the way, we, we began to assume that this was like, this was extra credit. You know what I mean? You remember extra credit in school? Right? I, I, I needed lots of extra credit. Okay? Extra credit was, oh, well, I, I, I need to bring my grade up. Is there something else I can do to get in good graces with the teacher? And somewhere along the way, we began to treat fasting as if it was extra credit. But in the kingdom, there's only one class of believer, redeemed. This is for us, isn't it? And so we, we noticed in the things we read that giving to those in need, prayer, and fasting are all expected or assumed by us. Who's teaching here? So who's making the assumption? So that's a... I mean, we should take that as, this is what we do. And Jesus, our king, assumes something of, we're talking about life in the kingdom. Whose kingdom is it? It's his kingdom. So when the king assumes that I'm going to do something, I look at it, I need to look at it and say, that's what I'm going to do. You with me so far? Okay. These were all central elements at the time in the lives of Jewish families in the first century. So we're going to tie these three ideas together that Jesus has outlined here. Jesus says that there is a way that our giving can glorify God, a way that our prayer can please God, and a way that our fasting focuses on God. So let's, let's look at that in a negative way as well. Let's make some negative statements um, that Jesus is sort of summing up for us. First, don't give to others so that you are noticed. It's the first thing that he says about, about giving. Don't give to others so that you're noticed. Second, he says, don't pray to make a scene. And number three, don't fast to draw attention to yourself. Jesus is teaching us here that our private relationship with him must be more important to us than our public displays of that relationship. You, you, you see what he's saying? That the public display of the relationship, he's not saying that's not important. We're going to unpack that a little bit because it does seem like he's saying that. But what he's actually saying is the private relationship that you have with Jesus should be more dear to you than your public display of that relationship. In other words, would you be content? Would I be content if no one else knew anything at all about my relationship to the Lord in, in this way, in the fact that I give, in the fact that I pray, in the fact that I fast? Would it be enough if God knew? What if no one ever knew that you wrote a big check? Some of you probably have and no one does know. But what if no one ever knew that you were a faithful tither or giver or that you supported a missionary? What if nobody else ever knew that? 
What if, no, what if you went your entire life and no one complimented you on being a good teacher of the Bible? As a Sunday school teacher, as a children's ministry teacher, what if no one ever came to you and said, oh, you have such a gift, brother. Sister, you, you just have, are, are such a gift. I'm so thankful. What if nobody ever said one accolade to you? Would it be enough? How would you feel about that? And Jesus teaches us that the value of our private devotion is exponentially more valuable to him than our public display. Notice what Jesus didn't say. Jesus did not say, be careful of practicing your righteousness. He didn't say, be careful of practicing your righteousness. He doesn't say, hey, don't practice righteousness. Jesus is not against doing good things. He is not against doing things that other people will see and notice and say those are good things. Jesus also did not say, be careful of practicing your righteousness in front of others. Flip back with me to chapter 5, verse 16. Chapter 5, verse 16. Remember, same message. This This is a few minutes later when Jesus is preaching. So Jesus in chapter 5, verse 16, right? Remember, this is, just a, this is just a talk. Jesus is just talking to people. So it's, it's not chapter 5, verse 16 to them. It's like, wait a minute, five minutes ago you said this. Well, here's what he said five minutes ago. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So how do we reconcile, let your light shine before others, let people see your good works, with Jesus just a few minutes later saying, don't make a scene. What exactly is Jesus teaching us here? Here's the principle, one principle for the day. Private devotion must precede Public display. Private devotion to the Lord has to become, has to come before the stage, any sort of stage. Whether it's teaching, whether it's serving, private devotion always has to come first. I read a quote recently that I I, I loved. This teacher said, if the light on you is brighter than the light in you, the light on you will eventually blind you. The light on you is brighter than the light in you. The light on you will eventually blind you. There are too many of us, too many men, women, teenagers who are more concerned with how we might look in front of our church friends than we are with the condition of our own hearts. And this breaks the heart of God. Do we see that? It is a good thing to do good things. It's a good thing to do good things when other people see you, Jesus says. Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, let your light shine before others. So to see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Like I said, Wally Alfonso and I spent the last week in Guatemala. We had the privilege to lead this pastor's conference in the town of San Pedro, outside a larger town of San Marcos. We had between 40 and 50 brothers and sisters there. It was a a wonderful time of equipping. And there were many people um, in San Pedro who worked hard to host us. Uh, uh, There were many people who worked hard to make this possible. There were pastors, 
or their families. There were church leaders at the church that hosted us. But there was another group there. And I, Alfonso and Wally, we were grateful for this one particular group of about five ladies who worked tirelessly at an outdoor stove and table. And they all week prepared delicious meals for us during the pastor's conference, feeding about 50 people at a time. There were, there were teenagers. There were older women. And they served. And this, their service was a public display. It seemed to me, and I can't know anyone's heart any more than you can, even though sometimes we assume somebody's heart. But it seemed to me it was a public display of an inward devotion to the Lord. They weren't showy about their service. Even when we're serving someone else, and maybe it's setting up tables, maybe it's sweeping floors, maybe it's handing out water, whatever it is, it is to the Lord first, isn't it? I have a friend that was asked to go in and speak to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers football team, and he arrived a few minutes early. Dad, you probably know this story. He arrived a few minutes early to the team room, um, and, and he was going to go ask somebody for directions to the coach's office. So he walks into the room, and there is a man. He has his back to my friend, and the man is setting up chairs and picking up paper off the floor. And so my friend goes up to him to ask him for directions to the coach's office, and he turned around. It was none other than Coach Tony Dungy. He says, what are you, what are you doing? Certainly have people to set up chairs. And Coach Dungy remarked that it was his time to pray over each man that would sit in one of those chairs. And that's what, he was serving in secret. Do you see it? And that's what Jesus is talking about here. Private devotion has to come before public display, or our public display is bankrupt and empty. Doesn't matter. It may matter to somebody. Doesn't matter to our Father in heaven. Why is that? We talk about this nearly every week. Because your Father is doing something in you that he considers more valuable and important than what he's going to do through you. He is invested in the condition of your heart. And that's why the private devotion matters more to him than the public display. Because he cares about your heart. Your heavenly father is the only person you have ever met that has truly 100% altruistic motives 100% of the time. There's never an agenda other than what is good and best for you. And we're going to talk about there's a balance to that because he does have something else on his agenda. But in so much as it has to do with your life, he's concerned about your heart. That's why he's not into the showy stuff. He's into the private stuff because he wants to meet with you in your own spirit. The greater work is what happens on the inside because your heavenly Father is after your heart. Kingdom citizens then, focus on what God focuses on, which is the heart. Private devotion must precede public display. I told you, one main point. A couple other things that sort of tag along with that. Private devotion brings glory to God, while public display brings glory to me. Thus, when you give to the needy, Jesus says, 
Sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. To the crowd that Jesus was speaking to, almsgiving or giving to the poor or the needy was a religious duty. This was not a philanthropic endeavor. This wasn't optional. This is just in the nation. This is what they, they did. Now, now, Jesus didn't mean that people were literally blowing trumpets every time they made an offering. There is an expectation from our Heavenly Father that we will give. Some people think we talk too much about giving. Some churches do talk too much about giving. We cannot overemphasize what God emphasizes. Again, this is not about your money. It's not about my money. What's it about? It's about my heart. It's always been about that. God has always been interested in releasing the bonds that material possessions can have on our own souls. So by helping us to loosen our grip on our stuff, by being generous with it, what is he doing? He's transforming our heart. So what Jesus continues, and he says, you know, giving and taking care of the needs of people, it's more about me than it is about them. It's more about me and my relationship to my heavenly father, a relationship of trust that as I give away, he's still going to meet my needs. Giving is a necessary part of our faith walk. We cannot continue to grow up in Jesus if we're not learning to be generous. Generosity is expected of us. In a society where without social security or welfare, the way Jesus' society was, voluntary charity and donations for the hurting, for the poor, for people who were lacking, was a key part of ancient Jewish life and remained an important virtue enjoyed by those who walked in the way of Jesus. Now, today... If after the service, and let's just say I've written a check, it's my tithe check, and let's just say I have a friend follow me out there. Let's just say he, he does this. David, will you, do you mind? Do you, have your, do you have your instrument with you? Just stand up and let it go, man. All right, I'm, I'm putting a check in, and this is what happens. Go ahead, David. Go, let, it, let it rip, man. Does that have your attention? Now, very good. Thank you. But can you imagine that I have him do that? Everybody looks, and then I pull out the check. Put it in the box. Want everybody to see. Do you see it? This is what Jesus is telling us. Nobody's doing this, but Jesus is using an absurd example to show us what we want. What do we want? We want people to notice. We want people to know. It's a slippery slope in the human soul. We want other people to recognize. Jesus is describing a heart attitude here. Giving tithes and offerings was important part of the, in the life of Israel. 
And today, again, we give through plates and offering boxes and mailing in and digital giving. So many ways, and we can manipulate those to give ourselves a pat on the back the same way they could in the first century if somebody followed them around with a trombone to announce their giving. The, the, the Hebrew word for glory is the word kavod. It, it means weight. There's a great book called The Weight of Glory written by C.S. Lewis. It, the weight. It, it, so something that has glory has weight, seriousness to it. it, 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 it we're, we're not talking about physical weight here. We're talking about a weight that conveys something deeper. Reputation, in other words, would be a, a, almost a synonymous word, although neither one of these completely get at the idea. Well, the New Testament writers translated this Hebrew idea of kavod to the Greek word doxa. It is the word glory in the New Testament, and it it means honor. We honor God. We bring glory to God or honor him because why? Because we want to increase someone's reputation but not our own. We want to increase the reputation of the Lord God because people who live in the kingdom and follow in the way of Jesus recognize that there's only one whose reputation matters. Only one who can truly change hearts and lives. A principle of life that everyone, believer and unbeliever alike, need to understand is this. And it's so simple. Glory never belongs to us. Never Glory never belongs to us. Glory is always an opportunity for deflection and reflection. 100% of the time. Man, if someone is praising you, it is an opportunity to deflect that to somebody else. You will see this this evening in a football game. The Super Bowl will be tonight. You laugh, and some of us will scoff and be like, ah, ah, ah. But you watch. Whoever wins, when the 49ers win tonight, I don't know. Whoever wins, there will be interviews after the game. And they will inevitably they will go interview the most valuable player of the game. And so whether that's Patrick Mahomes or Travis Kelsey or Brock Purdy for the other team, one we know is a committed, passionate follower of Jesus. The others I'm not so sure about. But here's what I do know from reading and watching some things about these guys' lives. They're great teammates. Whether they love Jesus or not, they love the men that they play football with. And I, I can almost guarantee you this. If one of those guys gets interviewed for being most valuable player and they are receiving glory on one of the world's biggest stages, they will deflect it to their teammates and say, this was a team effort. Receiving glory is always an opportunity to deflect it and reflect it. Now, one of those guys, I'm just, I'm praying and I'm believing that if he gets most valuable player or if he doesn't, He is going to deflect glory to the Lord Jesus, and he's going to reflect what's on the inside. You see it? That's what Jesus is driving at here. When someone wants to praise you because you're blowing your horn and giving to the Lord, it's an opera. Somebody sees you. Somebody comes to you and says, hey, what a great lesson you, you taught today in Sunday school. Man, I'm so grateful for you teaching in Awana on Wednesday night and pouring into children. 
Ted, Don, I'm so grateful for you guys leading that CR ministry in Portland. You know what? The appropriate response for us, yes, it is okay to say thank you. But every time someone tries to give glory to us, it's an opportunity for us to deflect it. And what a good God we serve. How gracious is our Heavenly Father that He chose to use me. I'm so grateful. I'm so, I always feel awkward. It's, so, it's such a weird thing. When somebody will come up on a Sunday after preaching, Brother Matt, that was such a great sermon. I don't know what to say. It's rude not to say thank you. Thank you. But man, on the inside, I want to continue to grow as a man who would just deflect to the Lord. Because it's good for my own heart to give praise to him before receiving it to myself. We reflect the light in us. This light in you has to burn brighter than the light on you or you'll be blinded by the light on you. Public display without private devotion takes the spotlight off Jesus and it puts it on me. That's never okay. Private devotion before public display keeps me from becoming a glory thief. Man, we're glory thieves if we're all about the show but there's nothing beneath it to back it up. All we're interested in is the accolade. We're glory thieves. Uh, Private devotion before public display keeps me from becoming a hypocrite. And Jesus talks about this. Hypocrite comes from the Greek word for actor. Hypocrites were actors who put on a mask to play a role in a play. So in Jesus' day, people would advertise. This is what he sort of he talks about it so specifically. He would they would advertise that they're fasting by letting their hair and beard get all nasty and mangled. These, I mean, literally, they would walk out of their house, they'd grab some dirt and they'd rub it on their beards and make their beard, you know, look all nasty and stuff. Why do you look so bad at fasting? Right? Gotta let people. Gotta let them know. Gotta let them know I'm I'm religious. Got to let them know how sincere I am. Jesus' day, people sometimes who are fasting, they got the dirt and the beard and their hair's all a mess. I don't know what that has to do with not eating, but they do all this stuff and then they, they talk, sort of talk real soft. You okay? I am. It's weak. I'm weak. Didn't eat breakfast. Give him a coffee this morning. It's all for the Lord. So blessed. If I fall over, pick me up. Help me, okay? And it's what she, so she was, it's absurd. And Jesus say they twist up their faces like, oh, I'm in such pain. I missed a meal. Don't be like that. You're a hypocrite. It's like you're putting on a mask. Trying to show off for church friends. Trying to show off for the community. Right? And Jesus is saying, that's just play acting. Jesus declares that it's putting on a mask that real fasting, which we're, 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 it's assumed we're going to do. By the way, a few weeks as a church, we're going to enter into a season of fasting together. But real fasting, it's between you and God. It's not something you do to show off. So do what you normally do. What is he saying? Wash your hair. Comb your beard. 
get up and go to work like a normal person. It's between you and the Lord. The important point here and all through is this question. Are our eyes fixed on the Lord Jesus or on someone or something else? What's our priority? Remember that hypocrisy robs us of reality. In our walk with Christ, beloved, we, we, can con every, we can con everybody around us. We can lie so much about our private devotion that we eventually buy the lie ourselves. We can con anybody, including our own selves. We can pretend, but it's not real. There will be, oh, this should break our hearts. There will be men and women who have given millions to the Lord's work who will hear these words, depart from me, you worker of iniquity. I don't know you. There will be preachers and deacons and choir members who never had private devotion to the Lord that will hear, depart from me. Jesus isn't invited into something real. Nobody, nobody else would ever even have to know that God has done something in you and it could still be real. Now, the, the flip side of that is God, once he starts working in us, we shine bright to those around us. But hypocrisy robs us of what's real. Jesus warned about this in Matthew 23. He says, woe to you teachers of the law. Listen to how harsh he is. He knows the end is coming. The crucifixion is right around the bend for him in Matthew chapter 23. And so he's so bold. He, there are things that he has to declare before his earthly ministry is over. Matthew 23, 25, he says, woe to you teachers of law and Pharisee. You hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and dish. Now, having spent the week... Um, in another country with sometimes different hygiene practices. You know, we're only going to drink, drink the bottled water, brush your teeth, use the bottled water. Can you imagine going into a situation where you, you, you might have some questions about things, sanitation? So you get the cup you're going to be drinking from and you scrub the outside of it you bleach it, you Clorox it, you do all the things to it. And then you sit down to drink a cup of water, but the inside has never been touched. And Jesus says, it's what you guys do. You clean the outside so it's pretty, but inside you're full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and dish. Your heart, then the outside also will be clean. You'll shine bright when the inside is clean. What, and this is the part we remember. Woe to you teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of the bones of the dead and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside, you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside, you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness and death and rot. Take care of the inside. Don't worry about the outside. The outside will take care of itself. Because the Holy Spirit transforms us from the inside out. Because we are whitewashed tombs, look on the outside, beautiful, full of death on the inside. Hypocrisy also robs us of what we were meant to be. 
I think this is the main point that Jesus is making here. It robs us of spiritual rewards, right? Instead of spiritual rewards, we reap shallow and temporary praise from people. We get the pat on the back. We get the accolade. We get the attaboy, girl, right? But we don't get anything deeper than that that's going to last forever. And Jesus, that's not who you were meant to be. You were meant to live forever. So start being who you're going to be forever. Stop being who you've been. Start being who you're going to be. Hypocrisy also robs us of of real influence. The Pharisees were such a negative, death-breathing influence on society. And God wants to use you. He wants your light to shine before others so that they will see your good works and glorify glorify you, right? No! Glorify your Father in heaven. Hypocrisy robs us of peace and joy. There's no deep abiding peace or joy when we pretend. There's no peace when we pretend all of the time. And we may have conned ourselves into thinking that we're giving to God, but God desires glory more than anything else. And we make our giving, our fasting, our praying about us more than him. We're a distraction to the glory of God. What does God need from you? What does God need from you? Nothing. To a room full of people who have a lot. And every one of us does. God does not need your money. He does not need your stuff. He is not lacking. There's no part of him that can be made more whole when we fill in the gaps for him. He doesn't need from us. He invites us. Participate in things that will last forever, that will influence forever. I saw, and again, I shared this with our deacons this morning. I was able to walk into a church on Friday night and see the kingdom impact that the church has made in a, in a community, I'd say a little community, it's a large community outside of Guatemala City called Satilti or Satellite City. Some of you have been there. Kingdom impact that will last forever. Private devotion before public display provides me with a reward. God's reward to us is not money, right? The reward is God. The reward is our heavenly father. Jesus is not prohibiting public prayer. Not prohibiting fasting. Jesus is not prohibiting giving and people finding out that you gave. What's he prohibiting? Boasting. He's prohibiting us doing these things in a way that makes it anything about us. Why? Because he's invested in your heart. I was thinking about this this morning, especially with the Super Bowl tonight. Have you ever noticed, I'm sure you have, that so many celebrities seem to struggle with addiction, broken marriages, cycles of pain 
and abuse. I'm not saying it's limited to famous people. We both know it's not. Why do you think that is? Can I say to you this morning that I don't know if this is a revelation or just as I was praying through this? I think part of it is this. You and I were not made for fame. We're not made, we weren't created for fame. I don't know if anybody in here would be considered famous by the world's standards. And maybe somebody is, I don't know. But I'm not, I'm not even talking about would people outside of Douglasville recognize your name. Fame is contextual, isn't it? Like some of us are, some of you are famous here. Famous Sunday school teacher. Famous staff member, famous preacher. You, you, know, you see what I'm saying? Like, I'm not famous. Right? But people do know me here. God didn't create us. To me, and here's, here's what I was thinking about this morning. Here, here, here's why, I think. Because when, you're, when you have any kind of celebrity whatsoever, locally in a church, locally in a community, hometown hero makes good, you know, that type of thing, people love you that don't know you. And that's dangerous love. The flip side of that is people hate you that don't really know you. And when people love you that don't really know you, they affirm you no matter what you do. Because they love the thing you said. Man, that Sunday school lesson, that sermon was great. So so our tendency is to say, they're great. We're not made for that. We're made to deflect and reflect glory to the King of kings, the Lord of lords. We're made to be known by people and not just be seen on a platform. And whether that fame is large scale or small scale, it can be incredibly dangerous. And so can I just encourage all of us? I I suppose this is where we land the plane. Whatever you do publicly for the Lord, make sure you're doing it privately first. You're going to give to the Lord publicly. Make sure you've done that privately first. Whatever you're going to do publicly for the Lord, Sunday school teachers, deacons, staff members, make sure we're doing this privately for him first. Make sure we're doing it more often for him we are in public. Make sure that we're doing it deeper in private than we are in public. Do it unto the Lord. Give to him first. Give to him most. Give to him best. When a follower of Jesus Christ practices these disciplines with a humble heart and with God's glory in mind, then there is great joy and there is peace and there is communion to be found, but only for those whose hearts are clean, humble, and redeemed. The earthly reward of riches and fame, health, the attaboy, Bible says those will burn up like that. So maybe in these moments as we close our time together, can we just ask everybody to bow our heads and close our eyes? The worship team comes to lead us this morning. This should be a time of prayerful consideration.
of examination of our hearts. So where, wherever you are, could I just encourage you to pray privately to the Lord? That's what we're talking about, private devotion to the Lord. So in your own words, as the music begins to play, maybe voice a prayer to the Lord like this. Holy Spirit, you're here and so you're present with us. I invite you to examine my life, my heart, my motivations, and reveal to me, reveal to me what's true about myself. Let's just spend some time letting him examine us this morning. I'll close this in prayer in a moment. to your purposes. We pray to you and only to you this morning. You see it all. Between our very bone and marrow, soul and spirit, you lay us open. You are the great revealer of truth. So, Father, what you, through your Spirit, have revealed to us this morning, we confess to you. Lord, we, we, we repent. We, prevent, we repent of our public displays before we have been with you privately. And we ask, O oh Lord, daily remind us because we are forgetful people. Remind us and draw us in to intimacy with you, to walking with you and knowing you. We're already known by you, but our desire is to know you. going to stand and sing in a moment. If you're here this morning and you need to, wait, if there's something about kneeling before the Lord here this morning to confess or to seek prayer, then, then this, this space and this time is for you. If you're here this morning and you need to turn back to the Lord Jesus because maybe publicly things have been great, but privately you have wandered away and you'd like somebody to pray with you, we are here to pray with you. 
If for the very first time you need to put a stake in the ground and declare Jesus is Lord over your life and give yourself to him, then this morning I just beg of you, would you come forward and let somebody pray with you and walk with you and lead you through that? You need to join this body. Whatever the Lord is doing in your heart, my only encouragement to you is just be obedient. So worth it to be obedient. Lord, we love you. We praise your name. Your name is good. You are good. We love you. The good, the beautiful. In the name of our King, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Will you stand?